0: True believers, welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. Hey there true believers. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Devotion with Pastor Vinny. Hey, I just want to thank you all for being tremendous fans. And, you know, I've appreciated your feedback. I've appreciated your listens. You know, like almost every day, I just go to my dashboard to check how many of you guys are listening and the love you're you're showing. It's so appreciated. If you could just do me one more favor, though, and if you could tell somebody else, somebody new about this podcast so that they might grow closer to jesus i don't mind the time i put into these podcasts but i just love to know that someone found jesus because of these podcasts anyways today we got a great project ahead of us it's going to be a great show it's going to be different So, basically, for like about five years or more, actually probably closer to seven years, I'm a great procrastinator, I've been working on a book about Job. Actually, it's about the gospel and about human suffering and about how the gospel maybe, you know, doesn't seem fair all the time to us, at least when we're in the struggle. And so, I've been looking at the book of Job in terms of writing that story for people. My book is almost done and I hope to be searching for a publisher, but I want to get some sort of feedback from you, my podcast listeners, on the basic ideas in my book. So we're going to do two podcasts on Job and Jesus. Job and Jesus, the relationship between Job and Jesus. And if you're a fan of the book of Job, well, you are in for a treat. We will be focusing on the book of Job, but looking at Job's relationship with Jesus. In this very first podcast, though, it's going to be much different than what we would normally do. In fact, what I'll be presenting to you today is actually a recording of a sermon that I preached that sort of tells the whole narrative of all the book of Job, all 42 chapters. Don't worry, I didn't tarry long. I basically summarized the book and went to the gusto of the major things theological point of the book. And that's why I'm really excited to hear your thoughts about it. And I really hope that you will take a little time and maybe just tweet me something or email me something. You know, you can find all my information on simplyvinnie.com and just give me some feedback because this is the core idea behind the book I've been slaving over because I just really want to present the gospel from the point of view of Job and suffering and my idea that the gospel cannot be lopsided. The gospel cannot just simply speak to us in good times. It must be able to speak to us in times when we feel that God is being unfair. Anyways, I don't want to take up all the time in introductions. We're going to jump into this sermon. This podcast may be a little tiny bit longer than normal, and hey, the sound quality is going to be a little bit different because this is going to actually be a recording of a live service, so you may hear a baby crying, you may hear people in the audience, you may hear clapping, you'll hear background music, there will be an appeal song, I have shortened it for your sake, hopefully... You know, the algorithms out there don't nail me and claim I'm copyright violating somebody else's music. I'm not. This is our praise team singing. Anyways, um, it's going to be a different feel. So if the sound is different than my microphone, just hang in there. Your ears will auto adjust to it eventually and if you need to listen to it in two parts then you go ahead and do that but this is going to be the core and after this one's done next week when I drop my next podcast I will reflect not in a sermon but in a regular podcast about more ideas about Job and why Job is important and why Jesus is really what Job is crying out for in the book of Job Anyways, I'm not going to take up any more time Remember, you're about to listen to a live setting Just set your mind, pretend you're in a church Whatever the uh, the mental image of being in a church is like for you uh, Don't be shocked by the sound change Just hang in there, you'll adjust to it Alright, without any further ado Here we go into Job a little bit louder
1: For five years I've been studying intensely the book of Job. For five years I've been writing a book about the book of Job. I'm about two-thirds of the way there. And a lot of people ask me a lot of questions about Job. And since I'm at a place in my study where I'm beginning to grasp meanings to this very complex book, I wanted to take a journey right to the heart, the center, It's towards the end, but it's the apex. It's not the ending, but it's the crescendo of Job. Now we know the book of Job, and we'll recap briefly the book of Job. But we want to work on the assumption that most of us know the basic story of Job. The story of Job is actually probably a poem. It's included in the wisdom section of the Hebrew Bible. Um, There's massive disputes over, and disagreements, and theories over who wrote the book of Job. But I'm partial to the Jewish tradition. I feel like the Jews have been carrying this book for so many years that their take on who wrote the book of Job is probably the best. And their take on who wrote the book of Job is Moses, they believe that, that Moses wrote the book of Job separate from the Torah, and they believe that it takes place sometime around after the flood, much before Moses, probably in around the time of the patriarchs. It doesn't take place in Israel, and Job is not an Israelite which is significant to the book because the book is simply trying to say to us God is the God of all who suffer not just his people. Okay? It's a very important concept that we get that. God is the God of all who suffer not just his people. Furthermore, God takes responsibility for all who suffer not just the responsibility of those who love him. Now, Job does love God, and it's very clear he's called a righteous man. talks about his many sacrifices and the good things that he does for the community, for his family, and so forth. And, and, and it talks about this cosmic conflict that happens in, in, in heaven. And we're not really going to get into a lot of that. I'm just recapping it so that anyone who's brand new the book can catch it. Satan, or the hastan in in the Hebrew, the, the Satan in the Hebrew, the accuser, piggybacks or hitchhikes on a caravan that is going to heaven of angels. And the angels seem to be giving a report to God in heaven. And again, this is very Reader's Digest cliff notes here. And a conversation breaks out between God and Satan where Satan says basically Job only follows what you tell him to follow because you keep blessing him this is an important idea is Job's faithfulness about God's blessing or is Job's faithfulness about Job's love and trust in faith in God God Because the accusation is, it's only because of what Job gets. In, in essence, the devil makes the argument that Job is a practor of the prosperity gospel. As long as God blesses him, Job will do what he's told. By the way, this is a problem we have sometimes in American Christianity. Are you following me today? Amen. We're in God, into God for what God can give us, not into God because of who God is. And that's an important distinction, and that's the distinction that the devil accuses through this dialogue of Job of. He said, if you let me do this to him, then he will do that. Or if you let me do that to him, then he will do this. Because after all, he's not in it because he loves you. He's not in it because you're just. He's not in it because you're good. He's in it to win it, to
2: get it, to gain it. For whatever reason,
1: this is what happens. And... Job's life is torn to shunders. Now, we, we, we can relate because some of us have had our lives uprooted. Amen. Some of us can relate because we have had our lives gutted. Some of us can relate just because we have seen tragedy. And so we talk about the faithfulness of Job, the, the goodness of Job, the trusting of Job. Job. And this is true. It says
2: in chapter 2, in all these things, Job did not sin. But here's what it says in Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this,
1: after his goodness, after his faithfulness, after this, Job what? Can you read it with me? Can you read it with me? After this, Job opened his mouth. Ma- I know, we're not used to this verse. It's surprising, isn't it? We talk about the patience of Job and the faithfulness of Job. But, but I want you to see the text. After this, Job did what? Opened his opened mouth. Opened his mouth and he did what?
3: Cursed the day of his birth
1: curse the day of his birth. He goes on to make all kinds of accusations against God. In fact, a quick breakdown of the book goes like this. Chapter 1 through 2 is the time of Job's suffering and the cosmic conflict. Chapter 3 through 37 is the longest portion of Job and it is nothing but depressing. Bickering between Job, three friends, and then a fourth friend. And it just goes back and forth and it is literally chapter 3 through chapter 37 of them arguing over every kind of philosophical point of view that you could have about God and why suffering happens. In fact, Some great uh, philosophers and great theologians have delved into those chapters and they parse them out and they show historically, they basically make every argument for good and evil that's ever been made. But that's not the point where I'm going. Chapter
2: 38
1: through 42 is when God speaks what I call a little louder. Which is what I entitled the sermon. When God speaks a little louder. Why does he speak a little louder? Here's my take. Here's my theory. God speaks a little louder. Because sometimes you can't hear him. Because of the nonsense of the whirlwind. Sometimes you can't hear God. Because of the nonsense of the people around you. In the whirlwind. Sometimes you can't hear God because of the stupid things people come to you and say when you're in the midst of hurting. When you're in the midst of suffering. When people come to you with platitudes... And sympathy over empathy. Now, you know the difference. Sympathy is poor you, you're despicable, and I feel bad about that. Where empathy is, hey, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. How can I help you? Job's friends constantly look down on him, constantly make accusations of him. And Job, for the most part, is not guilty of the things they say about him until about halfway through when he starts to lose it. And then he says some things I'm sure he regrets, and I don't have time to go into them, but cursing the day he was born is the least of what he says in that section of the book. And it's worth your time to go through those depressing chapters to hear the depressing nonsense if only for this reason you never go give those excuses to other people. Because when Job's three friends plus one, he's got three friends, and then Elihu shows up out of no place. I read some interesting theories about that, but we won't get sidetracked. But he's an eavesdropper who shows up out of no place. So none of them give him any advice that helps. In fact, the conclusion that Job reaches by the time his friends are done with their godly counsel... Job decides there is no justice. Job decides not only is there no justice because God is creator and God is maker of everything. And if there is no justice, then God is not just. Now, I want to give Job credit because he doesn't jump to there is no God. Which is where most of us jump. Job believes at the end of this council that
2: there is a God. He just doesn't think this God is just. So his friends
1: offer basically the ongoing rebuke that if you were good, God would bless you. Oh, did you catch it? We're back to the prosperity gospel. Which just isn't isn't an American problem. It's a problem for Job and his friends. What is their point? If you were good, God would do what? Bless Bless you. You were rich. You had many slaves. You had many employees. You had many animals. You had many sons. You had many daughters. Because why? You were good. And if you're not being blessed anymore, what must that mean? You're no longer good. <laughs> so Job, Job's response is, if God was good, he'd not curse me. Okay, follow the logic. Are, are, you, are we all together so far? Because we have just swallowed 38 chapters of the book of Job. Job's friends say, if you were good, the prosperity gospel would be true for you. Job's argument is, no, if God was good, he would make do on his promise of the prosperity gospel. In other words, Job is saying a popular myth. And we know it's a myth because we've experienced otherwise. And the myth is this. Bad things don't happen to
2: good people. And that is not true. Sometimes, bad things happen to the most good people.
1: And we know that's true. We know that's true, even though we can't judge people's intent, we can't judge people's heart. But we see enough bad things happen to know that it couldn't have been the fault of the people. After all, this is the false teaching that Jesus corrected amongst his disciples, isn't it? Master, whose sin is it that this man was born this way? His or his father's? And Jesus is like, who told you it
2: was his or his father's? Maybe it happened for God's own purposes. And so, God shows up.
1: God shows up here in our scripture reading this morning. Then the Lord answered who? Are you with me? Then the Lord answered Job out of what? Out of
3: the whirlwind.
1: Out of the whirlwind. Then God answered Job out of the storm. Then God answered uh, Job out of the tragedy. Then God answered Job out of the foolishness. Of the
2: theology of his time that was not representative of who God really was.
1: Then God answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, "Who is this? That darkens counsel by words without what? Without, words without knowledge who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge then he's going to get tough Job 38 verse 3 dress for action like a man and I will question
2: you now and you Job will make it known to me You think you can answer me with floppy theology?
1: You think that the ways that men think can encapsulate why things happen in this world? If you and your friends are so smart, stand up like men. Stop whining in the ash heap. And answer me like the all-knowing man you think you are. Now watch what he says in verse 4. Very important idea in verse 4. Were you, where were you when I laid the what?
3: foundation of the earth.
1: The foundation of the earth. Tell me if you what?
3: Have understanding.
1: If you have understanding. Job? You think you understand how it works? You've declared me unjust? Yes, these tragedies have happened to you, Job, but but stop there, Job, and tell me about how this situation came to be. Tell me about how this world came into existence. Tell me about where goodness comes from. Tell me about where evil comes from, Job. And then I don't want you to miss it because I don't got time to read the whole thing to you. But what follows is two solid chapters of God declaring unequivocally that He is the Creator. That He's what?
3: The Creator.
1: Creator. It's imperative to understand what God is saying that He takes responsibility for good. And he takes responsibility for bad. And he owns up to owning everything and having made everything. That's his claim to why he understands how it works. And why it unfolds the way it does. For two chapters... God asked Job questions that simply say this over and over. If you can answer it, tell me how I created this. If you can answer it, tell me how I created this. If you can answer it, tell me how I created this. For two chapters, God basically says the reason you can't understand is you don't understand how this all came to be to begin with. And it's very true. Astute theologians and commentators on the book of Job point out that Job never, even at the end of the book, ever finds out about why he was stricken and what happened in heaven. Simply put, Job is trying to understand things that he can't understand. So going back to our our flow chart, we have now God... God speaking to Job through the whirlwind about Job's suffering. Then we have God pointing out, I'm the only one here qualified to answer this. It's nice that you, your three friends, and this young kid who was hanging out around the tent who came in at the last minute all have theories. But none of you know how this came to be. And none of you know even how reality is knitted together. And until you can answer that question... You really have no business trying to answer if I'm just or not. You
2: don't even know what I am or who I am. And then an interesting thing happens God
1: draws Job's attention to the monsters. You didn't know the book of Job is a monster movie, did you? But it's what happens. From chapter 3 to chapter 37, they accuse God. In chapter 38, God shows up. For two chapters, God says, I'm creator, you're not. And the very next thing he starts to do is to tell them about two monsters. And these two monsters are the behemoth and the leviathan. These pictures are not accurate representations. They're just symbols. (laughs) The behemoth and the leviathan. Commentators and scientists and creationists and everyone else have theories about who they may or may not be. And we could list all afternoon long very good reason theories. But we're not going to. What I am going to tell you is God owns up to having created Behemoth. God actually says, I created Behemoth and I created him not to be a carnivore. I created Behemoth to eat grass, to be gentle, strong but gentle. But something happened to Behemoth and he became angry and fierce and he is now so out of control that he can open his mouth and divert the whole river of Jordan. River Jordan is the river between the Dead Sea And the Sea of Galilee. Leviathan. He's got a lot to say about Leviathan. Leviathan is so powerful. Leviathan is so powerful. That if he sneezes. It creates lightning. Literally that's what one translation says. He breathes fire. And he's got teeth. That can devour anything in its way. There, are, again, are lots of theories. And some people believe these are actual creatures that existed after the flood or maybe slightly before the flood that Job remembers. It's hard to say. That's all speculation. Some people speculate that Behemoth is simply a rhinoceros and that, that um, Leviathan is simply some sort of dinosaur. I don't know. Here's what I would say. Behemoth is created. He's created gentle, but something goes wrong, and he becomes a force of chaos And God just spent two chapters talking about creation. For me, I have come to the conclusion that behemoth represents the chaotic nature of fallen man. Leviathan is much more easy to take a good educated speculation on. Because, listen to this, Leviathan's name literally means coiled sea serpent. And he is described much like a dragon. And it doesn't take me long in Genesis 3 to see if Behemoth and Leviathan have some sort of alliance together. And one is a serpent and one isn't. It doesn't take me long to realize that the description of Leviathan is pretty similar to the description I also find of Satan in Revelation 12. It also doesn't take me long to notice not only is he a serpent... And he's a sea serpent, which brings me to Revelation 13. So for those of you who are are cute Bible students, we can see that Job and the psalmist, by the way, because both Behemoth and Leviathan appear in the, the Psalms and elsewhere, are probably talking about Lucifer and fallen man. At least that's the conclusion I have reached. Mostly because of the attributes of them both, but also because Leviathan's name means coiled sea serpent. Coiled, twisted, folded. What do you know about a snake when it's coiled? Anybody from any lands with cobras? (laughs) What do you know about a coiled snake? It's not in the mood for mercy, is it? That is the picture we see of Leviathan. Turn with me to Job 40 or or read it from the screen. Either one are are, are fine. But in in chapter 40, verse 15 and 23, I'm just going to give you a taste of behemoth. It says here, behold, behemoth, which I, who? God. This is God speaking, right? Which I, what? Made. Made you. He eats, what? He eats grass like what? Like an ox. He was not meant to be ferocious. But look at verse 23. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rush against his mouth. Again, I told you, The idea is this is a powerful being that was meant only to eat grass, but now has the power and the strength to defer the whole River Jordan. On to Leviathan over in the next chapter, chapter 41. We're moving along because of our limited time this morning. Chapter 41. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Chapter 41 and verse One, can you draw out what's the name?
3: Leviathan.
1: Can you draw out Leviathan with what? A fish hook. A fish hook. Or press down his tongue? With a cord. With a cord. Can you leash the serpent? Can you control the sea serpent? Can you control this coiled sea serpent who sneezes lightning, who breathes fire, and who has Teeth that can go through anything. Look at verse 2 and 3. Can you put a rope in his nose? Or pierce his jaw with what? A hook. A hook. Will he make pleas to you and speak to you soft words? In other words, can you control this monster? Can you put him on a leash? Can, can you put a rope around his neck? Can you lead him? Can you tame him? Can you make him bow to you, as in Jesus when he says, Every knee will bow? Here's what God is saying in the whirlwind. When we listen to God and we listen a little louder, here's what he says Can you
2: really manage all? your monsters. If you think you understand
1: how the world works, if you think you understand how religion works, if you think you are in a position to know if I am right or I am wrong, if you don't like the way things are going with Leviathan or with your own
2: inner behemoth, can you put a ring in its nose? Can you put a leash
1: around his neck? Can you pull it down hard and make it speak soft to you? Do you have any control over the monsters in this world? Because what he is saying is, yes, Job, you are right. Life is really unfair. But the fact that life is unfair has nothing to do with if God is fair or if God is just. It has to do with the reality that in this world we all know it. If we admit it or not, monsters are real. And there are evil entities in this world that nobody in this room or nobody watching this video can control. And we could all stand up like a man, as God said, and claim we know better. And claim we can control the nations. And we could claim we can control the monsters. We can't even control the behemoth inside our own hearts. You know
2: monsters are real because you've caught yourself being the monster. And what God is saying to Job is, I agree with you, life is unfair.
1: But you and I, Job, both know the reason There's only one person in this conversation who's not a monster. And this is why God spent all those two chapters talking about creation. He wanted to make sure Job understood it didn't start this way. Behemoth got loose before Leviathan... Leviathan and Behemoth teamed up together, and the world is full of monsters because Behemoth, which is us, and Leviathan keep making them. goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, Can you feel, speaking of Leviathan, His skin with harpoons? Are you going to be the one to take down Leviathan? If you can take down Leviathan, Job, go ahead. Here you go. Here's your harpoon. Go shooting. Go hunting Leviathans. Let's see how the one who couldn't conquer Behemoth does conquering Leviathan. Can you Fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Oh, listen to God in verse 8. Go ahead. Go ahead, Job. I will let you. If, If you can end Leviathan now, if you can end this all, if you've got a better plan than the plan that I have that I'm not telling you about, and he is not telling Job, and he is not going to tell Job about the plan, but if you think that the plan that you have is better than the plan that I have that I have never told you, Go ahead and touch Leviathan. Go ahead, Job. Put your hand out. Try to touch him.
2: Remember the battle when you do. For you will never do it again.
1: If you, Job, think you know better how to deal with the existence of evil in a behemoth of a creation that has gone wrong, anytime Leviathan's there for your taking. Go ahead, take a shot. See how it goes trying to touch Leviathan without me. Behold, listen to what he says. Read it with me. Behold. The hope of a man man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. If you think you can handle Leviathan
2: better than me, you just look him in the eye.
1: And you won't even be able to make eye contact with something that evil. You will quiver and melt as soon as you see just how evil, just how powerful, just how destructive this entity is. Do you really want to manage your own monsters?
2: When God speaks a little louder, he's saying, you might not
1: Like or even understand how I hook Leviathan in the nose with the fish hook. But without my ways of hooking Leviathan, without my slow, tedious method of getting rid of Leviathan, there's no hope. God doesn't always tell us why suffering happens. God doesn't always tell us how he's going to end the suffering or what he's going to do about the suffering. These things God suggests are above our pay grade. These things God suggests are things that if he told us, we couldn't understand them. But what God does tell us is that if we just look at the creation story, if we just look at how perfect he made things, we can see his intent and we can see where it went wrong. wrong and in that creation story in that third chapter of Genesis is the story of the Messiah who will come and step on the Leviathan's head and although the Leviathan will bite his heel the Messiah will what? crush his head yes God's way of taking care of evil in the world is not ours can we agree Yes, God's way of taking care of evil in the world is not as fast as we want it to be. Can we agree? But what God is trying to say to Job, that if you trust me, you will never know why and you
2: will never know how, but whatever you get will be better than if you try to do it your own way. God is telling Job This
1: story, like this story many of us have heard. This story that has been repeated in countless movie plots. This story that has been repeated on countless murder mysteries. This story that has been told on the internet time after time. You know the story I'm talking about, right? The story of a woman driving alone at night. She stops at the gas station. She uses the gas pump. She gets back in her car. She starts to drive away, but she doesn't know that while she was filling up her car, what was happening? Oh, you did see the movie. <laughs> you do watch cop dramas. You are on the internet. This story is told over and over again. I want to put your mind at rest. I went to Snoop's, and Snoop says it's an urban legend. <laughs> Snoop says it's a very good TV plot. But Snoop did the research and found out that it started in a 1967 pulp fiction graphic novel. And the story has been retold over and over again. But I tell you something. While this is an urban legend, in the backseat of all of our lives there is something much more diabolical. You see, one of the things I couldn't spend time unpacking is Leviathan was always there in Job's life, hiding in the back seat. Sure, God brought him into the front seat in the conversation, but Leviathan was coiled. What's his name? Coiled sea serpent. He was coiled, and he was waiting.
2: And in the backseat of all of our lives, there's a monster waiting. The question I have for us is simply, will we trust? Not knowing what God is doing about it. Will we trust?
1: Not knowing where it came from. But will we trust. The cosmic God who is in charge of it all. Who speaks to us. Not before the whirlwind. But in the whirlwind. Will we trust the God that will come also out of no place and defend you against the Leviathan and protect you and heal you and empower you in that moment? Because the end of the book of Job, you'll have to wait for the book or figure it out for yourself, is not about the restoration
2: of the prosperity gospel. It's about a spiritual change in Job. And that's all I'll say. At Solid Rock, we have, me and Marvin were talking about this,
1: adapted this Raise a Hallelujah song almost as a second anthem, haven't we? (laughs) We love this song. And I love this song because it encompasses what I want to capture in the book of Job. I don't know where the enemy comes from all the time. I don't know when the enemy is going to pop out of my back seat. I don't know what the enemy is coiled around. I don't know when the enemy is going to spring on me, but I know that my God is in the presence of my enemy. And that's what Job had to come to know. I know that God is in the presence of my enemy. I know that God is the, the weapon forged to protect me. My weapon is my melody. In the third line from that song, heaven comes to fight for me.
2: And listen to the chorus. I'm going to sing
1: in the what?
3: middle of the storm.
1: The middle of the storm. Listen to me. Job and his 3.5 friends, I call it .5 because the other one was just young. <laughs> Job and his 3.5 friends, they sang in the middle of the storm. But their melody was not their weapon. We're given the book of Job. So our melody can be our weapon. We can sing a different poem than Job and his 3.5 friends. This is why I had to preach this to you today. I don't know your storm. I don't know when the enemy is going to coil his way out of that backseat. I don't know, but I know that if we trust the God who is in the storm, he is in our presence already. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm the same way God sang back to Job. How? Louder and louder. I'm going to sing, in other words, over the noise of the storm. I'm going to sing over the bad advice of my friends. I'm going to sing not how unfair, not how unjust God is. I'm going to sing praises that roar. Marvin lead us in praises that roar. Now you got to sing like the song says. Sing. tired of monster management. I am tired of trying to reorganize my demons. I am tired of trying to balance behemoth and Leviathan in my life. I'm tired of living in the whirlwind. I'm tired of singing the 3.5 poem. You know the 3.5 poem? The poem of the three friends and the half a friend. I'm tired of singing about how unjust God is. I'm tired of singing about how unfair God is. You know how we sing that God is unfair? Do you know how we live that God is unfair? We sing and we live that God is unfair because we act as if God is treating us unfair. And we manage our monsters as if God is treating us unfair. But he's not. We're managing our monsters. Because we're still trying to figure out how they work. God's message to Job is, you can't understand how these monsters work. You can't control your own behemoth, let alone Leviathan. Don't even try to touch him. Give your monsters to Jesus. And the way you give your monsters to Jesus is to raise a hallelujah. The way you give your monsters to Jesus is to sing a different poem. The way you give your monsters to Jesus is to sing a little louder than the nonsense people are going to tell you in the middle of a storm.
0: All right, Pastor Vinny here. I want to thank you for hanging in for that marathon of a message on Job, but I hope you are blessed. I know I was blessed just listening to it again, and I'm looking forward to having more of a regular podcast with you next week, um, going deeper into this idea of what Jesus does with suffering and how he sees us through that that suffering even when we can't see what he's doing. Anyways, I want to thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Remember to send me your feedback. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from SimplyVinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.